The trial of five men accused of the murder of Bafana Bafana goalkeeper Senzo Mayiwa in 2014 finally got underway in the Pretoria High Court, with the first witness taking the stand this week. It's been nearly eight years since the football star was shot and killed at his girlfriend Kelly Kamalo's house in Fosleris near Johannesburg. The accused have been charged with murder, attempted murder, robbery with aggravating circumstances and the illegal possession of a firearm and ammunition. They have pleaded not guilty. This week on The Story, we'll be speaking to News24 journalist Alex Mitchley about what's been happening in court, how long the trial is expected to take and just why it's taken so long for the accused to face justice. Alex, welcome to The Story and thank you for your time. The accused were only arrested in October 2020. Why did it take police six years to arrest them? Well, I think the uh, the case of uh, the or the killing of Sinzamiwa definitely took a, a strange turn right in the beginning. We know that just days after his murder, a suspect was arrested. He appeared in court. Uh, he was, of course, a guy that worked at a car wash in Phosphorus, very near to uh, Kelly Kumala's house. Uh, but then it appeared that uh, that was not the guy. Uh, despite a positive identification from one of the witnesses in the house, so already there you had a guy who was accused of this and there was just no evidence to back it up, so the case was obviously withdrawn against him. And then you started that period of six years where it just seemed as if nothing was happening. During that time, there's also a lot of speculation as to whether this was just a robbery, a robbery gone wrong, or whether it was a contract killing. And lo and behold, six years later, you have this big announcement from the Minister of Police that they have finally arrested the people who are believed to have murdered Senzo. So there is a lot of speculation as to why it took so long, but the general consensus is that it was just very poor police work coupled with allegations that the witnesses in the house were also giving contradictory statements. Alex, what can you tell us about these men and their possible motive for killing the football star? Well, we know that some of these guys are already serving sentences in prison. We know that the fifth accused, in fact, is a hitman, and he was sentenced to multiple life sentences not so long ago for uh, I think it was six killings committed between 2015 and 2018 down in KZN, uh, which included a contract killing on a ANC ward councillor. So we do know that at least one of these men is a hitman. And we do know that one, at least another one of the accused has also uh, just been sentenced for two attempted murders, one being on his girlfriend. I believe it's alleged that uh, he was afraid that she might speak out about him having killed the football player. Uh, in terms of motive, we don't know yet. The state seems to have made the accusation, uh, as far as the indictment is concerned, that it was a robbery. The state has not been talking, has not spoken about whether it was a hit, an assassination, a contract killing. There's been no talk about that in terms of the indictment. They've essentially just said that these men all acted in common purpose when two of the accused broke into the house, uh, shot Senzo, and stole a single cell phone and left. Of course, there are questions about why somebody would go into a house with the intention of robbing the house and only take a single cell phone and only shoot a single person within the house when there were several people in the house at the time. So there's been a lot of speculation about that as well. But at this point, 
uh, at least the state hasn't given their idea of what the motive is behind the killing. And Alex, what's been happening in court this week? So we finally kicked off trial with the first witness, which was a forensic field worker with the police. He he took the stand and he spent uh, about a day giving his, his evidence in chief, which focused around what evidence he collected, how he collected the evidence. So he went meticulously through photographs that he had taken, and he explained where he had found, for instance, a bullet fragment. He later found a bullet projectile as well. He explained where he had done DNA swabs and just ex- essentially how he bagged and tagged all this evidence and what he had found at the scene. Of course, he said under oath that he did not receive any of the results. So he essentially, as a state witness, he was just setting the scene in terms of being the first forensic field worker there being the first detective there, and just exactly what sort of forensic evidence he managed to find and collect. That was, of course, his evidence-in-chief. Now, under cross-examination, there have obviously been a lot of questions put to him, including that apparently a hat, a scotch hat found at the scene or at the kitchen door where the uh, accused would have entered, um, he said he had collected that as evidence, and the defense counsel has made a allegation that uh, DNA was taken off that hat, that that matched a woman. So it's no way the hat could have belonged to the accused, which is, of course, what the state had said. The, uh, the defense counsel further said that there's a walking stick there, and that walking stick, they claimed that that walking stick was actually used by one of the victims in the house to uh, hit the accused or the person who had come into the house, uh, the person who had shot Senzo. And in that case, the police had not collected the stick as evidence or done DNA on the walking stick because they said, well, this belonged to someone in the house, so they didn't think it was evidence. Uh, So those two interesting pieces of information coming forward, of course, these are just allegations from defense counsel, and we'll have to see what the state says when they actually bring on another forensic expert that will detail the results of the forensic analysis done on the crime scene. The week ended with drama in the courthouse when the defence lawyer was arrested. What happened, Alex? Shortly before court adjourned on Thursday afternoon, advocate Malisela Tepo, who is representing four of the accused, was questioning the first state witness around his claims that the crime scene had been staged. Whilst doing his questioning and a couple of um, objections from the state, and conversations between the defense and the judge, uh, Advocate therefore kind of stopped abruptly and all of a sudden told the court that his life is in danger, witnesses' lives are in danger. His instructing attorney then took over and addressed the court and also said that they had been receiving death threats and said they had received a tip-off that uh, Advocate Tefo would be arrested and this was all intimidation tactics. And then just said that Advocate Tepo cannot carry on today and that they'd have to call it quits here. Yeah, they'd have to postpone here. Yeah. And following the postponement, a investigating officer who was in the court at that point started speaking to Advocate Tepo. And very soon thereafter, I noticed that something was going on and got a bit closer to the discussion and overheard he was speaking about this warrant of arrest. By that time, the jig was up and there was quite a commotion. This investigating officer or arresting officer, should I say, he asked some of the police's TRT members to come and assist him. 
and essentially Advocate Pfeffer was arrested on a warrant of arrest that was authorized by the Hillbrow Magistrates Court. And we understand now that that warrant relates to a separate case in which Pfeffer is an accused. It's a charge of trespassing. The case was opened, I believe, sometime in, 20, in July 2020, and it relates to a trespassing charge. And as far as the warrant of arrest document is concerned, it appears that Advocate Tefo had missed a court appearance in January, at the end of January this year. And so they were effectively there to effect uh, this uh, warrant of arrest. However, the manner in which it was done in full view of the media within a courtroom has now also sparked further debate and almost given credence to all these allegations that Advocate Tefo has been making over the years with relation to the um, Senzo Miyua case, where he says, you know, there is a lot of, he, you know, he has a lot of conspiracy theories about, you know, who was involved in the murder and whether this is all staged and whether it's a cover-up, you know, and he's blamed senior, in fact, during uh, court proceedings and cross-examination on Thursday, he was uh, blaming senior Gauteng police officials for staging the crime scene. And unfortunately, the way this arrest was done certainly plays into his narrative that there is some sort of interference. Uh, whether or not that is so, that remains to be seen. What we do know is that Advocate Tefo appeared in court on Friday and that the Minister of Police, Becky Kele, has also asked for a report on this ma on, on the arrest. We do know that the Gauteng Commissioner General Mawela has also asked for information on the arrest and why it was conducted in this manner. Uh, and we also know that Advocate Tef was claiming that the only arrest warrant he knew about was one that was from December 2021, which had been cancelled. And I've seen a the cancellation document uh, floating around on social media. However, this warrant doesn't seem to relate to December, but this warrant relates to an appearance in January, which he was saying he knew nothing about. So quite a lot going on behind the scenes. And then, of course, also those claims that one of the accused has been assaulted in prison. Can you tell us about that? Yes, this was accused three, who is also the uh, alleged gunman, as per the state. He um, was serving a sentence in Johannesburg Prison, which is a medium uh, correctional facility, and he was then transferred to Jose Mampuru, which is a maximum prison facility. And he claims that he was assaulted by one of the correctional officers whilst, at, whilst in the holding cells at the Pretoria High Court. And he has then opened a criminal case. So we know that the Department of Correctional Services has also launched an internal investigation. However, a doctor who did examine the accused said they could find, he said he could find no visible injuries. And Alex, what can we expect in court proceedings over the coming weeks? And for how long has the trial been set down for? We do know that the state alone is looking to call anywhere between 50 to 20 witnesses. So it is expected that this trial may run on for months. And we're obviously still looking out to more forensic and ballistic experts that will be testifying. And thereafter, we most likely will be looking at eyewitnesses that were in the house at the time. They, should, they might also likely be called to testify. 
And Alex, what about Kelly Kamala, the girlfriend of the deceased? She has a lawyer that she has hired for a watching brief, but a lawyer for the accused raised a concern about that. What was that about? And also, what exactly is a watching brief? And why was it objected to by the lawyer for the accused? All right, so a watching brief is essentially just a a legal brief for a, a, a for a legal representative to attend the trial and to observe for an interested party that is not necessarily direct that that is not directly implicated. So essentially, Kelly Kumala sent her legal representative just to observe the trial and to see what was going on and to uh, obviously keep her abreast of any developments and to ensure the integrity of the trial. Now, the reason why there was an objection to that is Kelly Kamala is also on the witness list. And as far as court processes are concerned, a witness in a trial may not be privy to any of the testimony of witnesses before them. So they are not allowed in court until after they've testified or until they've testified, and thereafter they can come and attend court but they are not allowed to sit in court while other testimony is going on, while other witnesses are giving evidence. And I imagine that is just to uphold the integrity of the witness evidence because then another witness can come in, listen to what is being said and, you know, alter a story to corroborate or perhaps even denounce certain um, aspects of another witness's testimony. And I think it was based on that that the defense counsel raised the objection of course, Kelly Kamala's representative did say, well, look, this thing is being broadcasted on live television. But the judge said, yes, that may be so, but it is still not the same as sitting in the court. That comes with a lot more observations than when you're watching it from the telly. What is the atmosphere like in court? Is there a lot of interest from the public? There's been a large media contingent present at the trial. That is expected to subside somewhat because this case is expected to take months at the current pace. Uh, there haven't been any protesting or activist or support groups in court or outside court at this stage. But obviously, this case has drawn the public's interest. And this is obviously why there's also been decisions to broadcast the whole trial live. As far as the atmosphere is concerned inside the court, you know, at times, it's uh, it's very serious. Uh, the court is very quiet. Uh, the cliches, you could probably hear a pin drop. And... Um, There have definitely been quite a few exchanges and heated debates between the judge and the defense counsel and defense counsel in the state as well. So everyone's definitely fighting hard to push their position across. A story we will definitely continue to follow closely with Alex's updates from the courtroom. Thank you for that. That was Alex Mitchley, News24 reporter. That's all we have time for this week on The Story. Join us again next week. I'm Catherine Rice, and this week's episode was recorded by Bertram Malchas.